0: have just walked down here for about 50 yards and
1: you know everyone's first name still. Man of the people aren't
0: I? <laughs> It's the first time I've ever been to Liverpool in the day outside of football. <laughs> <laughs> it's unlike the dog walk with are Where can come on! It's a good day though, isn't it? Gone to Wembley, your dad's got arrested, you've ended up on the Everton team <laughs> coach and at seven oh, you're... I'm on the pool
2: table dancing!
0: <laughs> Keep going James!
1: That's like what we That's the bit that's going to go out, is it? <laughs>
0: On the latest episode of the overlap, I go deep into enemy territory to visit a hometown hero who made over 700 appearances in a glittering career for Liverpool. Jamie Carragher won nine major trophies, including a cup treble in 2001 and the Champions League in 2005. We talk about growing up in the city he loves,
1: playing for club and country and punditry. This will be never later on, hopefully. Just set him up, right on his chin. Oh, here we go. There he is, Mr Neville. Welcome to the Rotunda Boxing Club. Welcome to the overlap. (laughs) The curse of the overlap. So, we are doing a training session here. Yes? Yes, please. You ready? And, uh, And then we're going down to Bootle.
0: Yes. Every guest gets a gift on The Overlap and yours is me coming to <laughs> this place. Oh, is that the gift? Neverland, in Neverland, Liverpool.
1: Do you come down here every day? Yes. Every day you like? Yeah, yeah. Don't so, you? We you don't look like he do. <laughs> <laughs> you do.
0: You're blowing there. Blowing.
1: So would you, a f- one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's going to have a line for you, aren't they?
0: I've never been to Liverpool where I've not had a gag thrown back at me inside the first two minutes. And what we're doing here, we're warming up. We don't have these in Manchester. We have spin bikes in Manchester. Yeah. We don't have assault bikes. Even the bikes are aggressive. <laughs> so you come down here every day?
1: Yeah. Do you? Yeah. I've just got to get out of the house every day. It's... Don't you feel like that no? But well, I do, but I go into the office and do stuff. Oh, uh, the office, can you imagine? Oh, God, I couldn't think of anything worse going into an office. Can you come
0: here, how long for? Like an hour, an hour and a half?
1: Come in here, have a bit of a crack. We'll all go for a bit of lunch in town. Yeah?
0: Yeah. What, so you come and train and go for lunch? <laughs> yeah. Like Every
1: day? Most days, yeah.
0: What a life you've got, by the way. <laughs> I'm going to come no, back as so. Jamie
2: Carrigan.
1: <laughs> so, you know this overlap?
0: Yeah. So, has it been going well. It's been going well. But this is a very different one to be fair. It's the first time I've ever been to
1: Liverpool in the day outside of football, ever. (laughs) Unbelievable, isn't it? You've done a few of these now, haven't you? You've done Joshua, Fury, Kane, Kane. Maguire. There's probably a series of 10 or 12. I'm just in at number 6 or 7. You know that one? Just put him in there.
2: You'll probably
1: finish with Beckham, or something like that. We'll start with AJ. We'll start with Joshua. (laughs) (laughs) F him up. And we'll finish with Beckham. Just I'm a... as he sacks Phil. A... <laughs> come on, let's get off the bike now, I'm warmed up.
0: What a proper session. Do you know, some... hey, you can't... Do you know something? You can't break me, it's a fact. will You
2: oh, oh, can't God. break me. Ten gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's not ten. Keep it going, come on. You blowing, Gaddy. Absolutely. Out of his slice set press-up, arms, with oh. width apart, let's go. These time in, them. go. Chest lights like down, let's go! Bang them out, Gary! Ten. Let's oh, get on Come on! Keep going! Get the height oh. with the knees, Gary! Knees okay. to your chest, come up. Ah, oh, these are killers! No shit! Let's go! Keep going, James! That's like I come with the knees! Four! <laughs> three, two! One! Time! That's the bit that's gonna go out, isn't it? <laughs> Oh you
1: Oh! Come on. Oh of <laughs> them! One, two.
0: Buddy. Come on. Six punches
2: straight off. Come on, you! <laughs> come on! Stop! Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was alright with that! Gabby, I'll show you! There he is. He's been waiting for this moment all his life. <laughs> 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 Come, on. Come on! Don't stop Gary. Keep you need going, keep him down! Come on! Keep going, hold your ground, Come James! On. Come on, Fergie's aging, you're on. Do it for Fergie, do it for Fergie! <laughs> <laughs> Where you going? Where you going? Oh, go! Come on, go Come in. on, you can't Supercal- break me! Supercal- last one, last one! Come on, on. can't break going, keep going. me! Keep going, Last ten! Keep going. Finish on last the five. edge. Last five! Finish on the edge, James, finish on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> oh! Oh! Come on, take it! Oh. Gary, come on! Oh, I know you. You're come, <laughs> come on! No come one can break on. me. No one can break me. Honest, nobody. I'm <laughs> unbreakable, Gary. You're like a Kit Kat. Come on!
3: <laughs>
2: hey, I want to see his bike setting.
0: Justin Finn, my bike settings is different than yours. Tell you. I know you lot work.
2: Oh.
1: This city is the football, it's tough, and it is tough for people around here, it. it really is. Liverpool as a city, and as a set of people, the government are very wary of, my dad got locked up before the game. As you do. <laughs> <laughs> right, carrot. we've been to the Rotunda tell us where we are now we are on marsh lane bootle which is where i cast myself as growing up i was born on noseley road which is a couple of streets back but everywhere where i was as a kid was here school youth club mates knocking about pubs as i got a bit older anyway so that's where we are so we'll have a little walk down marsh lane now and see some of the sites i've just realized we just walked
0: down here for about 50 yards and you know everyone's first name still man of the people aren't I? <laughs>
1: You know, I, I, I'm not. Oi! <laughs> hey! Yellow card! How oh, are we, boss? You okay? How oh, are mate? You okay? Yeah. Evertonian. Nice. Evertonian. you? <laughs> Everyone, honestly, this is an area of. Well, I grew up here, I was an Evertonian as a kid, but all the families growing up were Evertonians, really, as, when in we this were kids. the kids. Yeah. yeah. Hi, what? hi. Why is that? How are we? Right, 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 right. You alright, lad? All right, I'm all right. right. Nice right, to meet right, you. Right. You right. okay? Fucker, right. you yeah, alright? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Took a chance. All right.
0: All right. See you later, lad. Is it nearer to Goodison Park, or is there a bit of the underdogs that we've got to support
2: Everton? No, round here, no.
1: Or? People say say the underdogs, but your support, who your dad supported, and if you go back to the even the sixties or then Everton were the sort of probably the biggest club. Unlike the dog walk with Mike <laughs> in the Cheshire suburbs. There's yeah. <laughs> only been obviously Bill Shankly coming, things change, but I don't know if it's something to do with that. But every area in Liverpool have a certain bit where it's more Liverpool or it's more Everton. But when we were kids, there was a lot of Evertonians around here. Still is, obviously. And what was but it like growing around up round here? Loved it, loved it. People always talk about different upbringings, but you only get one, don't you? So you can never compare it to something else. So I always. Someone else's might be better, or I don't know. What, what, what's good, what's bad, I don't know. Uh, but we played loads of football. Everton and Liverpool were flying at the time when we were kids. Well, that was our school yeah. here. The two schools around here, St James and St Jones up there, but that's where everyone from this area went. Just talk to me about, when you're growing up around here,
0: is it just football and that's it, really? Is it football? Like, how big yeah. is football? Is massive, it?
1: massive. You're either a red or a blue, it's like, and it's your stone shit, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it was massive it really was yeah it still is now everywhere you go everyone just talks about football and this city is you can talk about the music or the Beatles or something what it's famous for but it is the football people come from all over the world like United coming into the city the hotels taxi drivers restaurants yeah. a lot of the revenue comes from Liverpool Football Club and that, that's what it is.
0: Growing up, where would the jobs be around here? What would your mum do? What would your dad do? What would the sort of community, where were they working around here?
1: Years ago, you had the Dock. So at the end of the Marsh Lane, you think of go back to the, the war and you talk about, like, uh, this area being the, the worst, probably, hit area besides London because we had the Docks here. So everyone used to work in the Dock yeah. years and years ago. Obviously, there was a big thing with the Dockers in the 90s. Uh, Robbie and McMahon put T-shirts on for them in support. But I me mean, mum would be, you know, jobs everywhere, worked all the life, in the pubs, cleaning, nothing, you know, what you think, he'd dad, the building game, really. And so that's what it is, you know, when you just, listen, you're always trying to make a few quid, aren't you, wherever you're from, you know, working class area, it's not easy, it's tough. And it is tough for people around here, it really is. There's no money, there's not a lot of money around here or, you know, people find it tough, it, it really is. So that's, The perception is... I think outside of Liverpool that. that (laughs) (laughs) We just placed that perfectly, you know?
0: Little booby traps all the way around. (laughs) The perception is outside of Liverpool that when I looked into Liverpool sort of, you know, growing up, that Liverpool people always felt let down, that they were left on their own, let down by government, let down by sort of the state if you like.
1: And it was them against the world that brought people together and stronger i mean it's difficult for me to say that as a kid because you're a kid you don't sort of remember it's only when you get old and you listen to the stories of margaret thatcher and and uh, how tough it was a lot of people left liverpool to go and find work whether it was abroad or going down south and maybe then not coming back there was uh, a ministry work for thatcher who said it's got to be managed decline in some ways that they were the phrases that people you, you see now 20 30 years later these Phrases uh, come out, but I think, I think Liverpool as a city, and as a set of people that the establishment or the governments are very wary of. They don't they will, trust them. No, they don't trust them. They will cause you a problem. They will fight back. When I say cause you a problem, they'll let you know. <laughs> you know, they, they're not shy in coming forward. That, that's what Liverpool people are. I always think they've got a personality, a character, and they won't be kidded, and they'll let you know.
0: The culmination of that feeling of Liverpool against, say, government, feeling badly treated, is the low point of that, obviously, Hillsborough.
1: It, it's the low point, but the way I, I look at the Hillsborough situation, it happened and, and 20, 25 years later, all the, the papers come out. And I think people in Liverpool were a bit like, we told you so, almost to the rest of the country, as if, like, now do you understand. When you're saying, oh, them scouts are moaning again, or why don't they ever shut up, it's a bit like, we told you. We told you that at the beginning. We knew at the beginning. No one else would listen. i you know, back in the, the governments or you know the the cover-up governments after that. Okay, and uh, I think I think when it actually came came out, it was only what people from Liverpool had always felt. You know, it was a cover-up. It was this. It was that. And in terms of that, do you think that because the
0: fight was so long, the city never let government off the hook they just kept going and the police they just kept going and they kept going and they kept going and they probably thought at times they're going to go away soon and they never went away do you think that's changed now that the way in which relationships have happened between maybe sort of government and Liverpool because I do think it has changed in this last few years the sort of the, you know the city of culture and the sort of the different projects that liverpool have, the way in which the city's developed do you think there is now a sort of a better relationship because
1: actually people realize that the people from liverpool won't have the piss taken out of them yeah maybe but i just think liverpool people we we always you always feel that like, and, and i think it is proven right even over you know what we've been through now in the last six to 12 months with, with COVID in terms of the government's looking after the matrix money and, and, and contracts, and it's like, everyone's at it. There's always that suspicion that something's not quite right. So the Liverpool people are always, I don't think they'll ever be fooled or kidded. You know, they always feel that like someone's up to something. Yeah. <laughs> and you know they normally are, aren't they? <laughs> this pub's a good one. My dad was born on this street uh, a few hours up, and this was the pub that I first went to when I was, say, 17, 18. I always remember, did you go to the cup final in 85? No, Everton played final. Went to semi, didn't go to the final. So I went to the final and Everton had won the European Cup and his cup a few days before. And I remember coming back here. So we got a coach. I mean we got off the coach at the Solly and there was actually Liverpool fans waiting there. So everyone, when people talk about the rivalry between you know Liverpool United, that always sticks in my mind. For me the biggest rivalry is always Liverpool, Everton, or vice versa. And I remember being in this coach about five in the morning. I was only seven. But everyone was just Singing and dancing on the because t- even though they lost the final, they yeah. won the league for the yeah, first yeah. time since 1970. But that was like the real pub where everyone went. To. It was a bit out the way, and if a stranger come in, everyone thought it was a policeman. <laughs> you know, one of them, you think, Who, who's this fellow coming here? That wall there, when Arsenal beat Liverpool, yeah, for the for the for the uh, the league, the league, the, yeah. well, probably the most. Straight, yes, someone just sprayed all over that wall. Thank you, Arsenal. You know, because this area was, as I said, more. Ever told but I don't know, it's like in Manchester when you were a kid, you always went to your grandmother's, or we call it yeah. your nan's, nans yeah. on a Sunday. I was nan as well. So, cause my dad, so my my nan lived on this street, so we'd be in and out of all these buildings on a Sunday afternoon, just playing, getting up to whatever you get up to. Did you get say. into trouble when you were younger? No, I, I, was, I mean, you had lads you did, but I, I never went that. I was playing football, you get up to a little bit of bottom, but not where you always knew where the line was. But. I remember getting went out to the police station. There's the a police station at the top of the marsh there, and I got my brother out of there one day when he was around 15, 16. Uh, not on serious, he was all right, but... No, never went that far. Obviously, was the lads do, or we'll get on with whatever they do, you know. When, you, uh, when you went to the cup final in 85, did you have a ticket? Did I have a ticket? I was only seven. My dad got locked up before the game. Before the cup final? Before the game, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. As you do. <laughs> When it say they I have a ticket, I don't know, but you've probably got, say, 20, 30 people on a coach. There might be 15 tickets, there might be 20 tickets. Don't no, forget that. Your dad's been locked up. You're how old, are you? No, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I was I was seven. So, no, our tickets out. So, everyone's just milling rounds outside Wembley, Way, the Twin Towers. The tickets out. Come out, like, scousers, tickets. Boom, my dad just went bang. like The tickets? Yeah, and just turned around. There's a policeman right there. <laughs> so, we nicked the two of them. Uh, so I ended up getting taken on the Everton coach before the game. Got the team bus? No, so the team had gone in. The players had gone off the bus. The, the bus is just outside the ground. So we were like, your dad's just been thrown in the back of the police van. I'm just like a lunatic screaming. I've got me, my other brother's a bit younger than me. So to calm us down, the Everton put us on. We just walked on the coach. The players are just been, so like, oh, uh, Peter Reed sits there, you know, uh, Neville Southall sits, you know, just calm us down. And we ended up going in. And his dad come in with about 20 minutes to go and found us and it was standing up, wasn't it? 100,000. The only thing I remember from the game was Whiteside's goal. Because when it's a cup final, sometimes people go you don't only really go to game. It's like a day out you know, just yeah. and just go here. And the lad said to me, What happened? And even like that, you know, you're like fing white side scores. You know what I mean? That f-ing left foot bender. Uh, and that's what ended up back there till five in the morning. Life, it? It's a good day though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you've, gone, you've gone to Wembley, your dad's got arrested,
0: you've ended up on the Everton team, <laughs> the team coach, and at seven you've
2: ended up...
0: I never got the impression that you really enjoyed it when you were
1: in England. I wasn't better than John Terry or Neil Ferdinand. England is the only team in my life that I didn't dominate. It didn't hate me enough not to play. Even when I was with England, I'm thinking Liverpool got sappy.
0: You've grown up around this area in Liverpool, And then you end up getting called up to the England team. Obviously, it was in a lot of the squads that you were with England. I never got the impression that you really enjoyed it when you were with England. Is that right?
1: Yeah, not really. And I regret that a little bit. James was having a little go of football if he was ever lucky enough to be involved in the England squad at any level. I'd speak to him and say, maybe, have a different mentality to the way, a little bit the way I had. Was it because this place was too important to you or how you were treated with England? No, I had nothing to do with how I was treated. I'm not one of them who, who i should i shouldn't have been a regular for england i wasn't good enough i wasn't better than john terry or leo ferdinand or south campbell or all these players and i think that's what i'm talking about if i think about it england is the only team in my life starting from five years of age that i didn't dominate and i think i accepted that too easily rather than going i'm just happy to be in the squad yeah i didn't enjoy i wouldn't say i loved being there and i loved i didn't like being away from you know, especially when you're not playing. I love being with the 21s, England the 21s. I was vice-captain. I used to do him with Frank Lampard. He was the captain. I felt a big part of the team. And if I felt that with with England, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more and felt more part of it, really. So it wasn't... I'm not having a go at anyone. I just think I should have fought a little bit more. In what to, way?
0: How would you fight more?
1: I think I just accepted that real Ferdinand and John Terry were always going to play. Now, what could I... Do? I can only play for Liverpool and play well, whichever I. You know, I think I did. But I don't know, I just, it, it didn't hurt me enough not to play. And I wish now I'd have spoke to Steve McLaren or Sven and said, what do I need to do to play? What, what If I'm not going to play, I'm that close to not coming because I've been doing it for yeah. 10 years now. Rather than getting to the end and going to Steve McLaren, I'm not coming no more because I just want to f- focus on Liverpool because I didn't play in this game. I'd have rather warned him earlier not warned them's the wrong word, to be honest.
0: No, die trying, though. I, at least yeah, I think, yeah, it, it's yeah. Not, it's the, not in your nature just to accept something. your yeah. It's not going yeah.
1: That's the only thing that I regret with England. I, I wouldn't have a go at any manager for not picking me, because that's nonsense. The, the, the others were better than me. I'm well aware of that. But it didn't hurt me enough not to play. Even when I was with England, I'm thinking, who Liverpool got satty.
2: Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: I'm training with England not to play for England. I'm training with England to make sure I'm fit for satty. For Liverpool, I always had that mentality. I look at someone like Frank Lampard to be honest, and when he me and him were always the same in under 21s, and he had a great England career 100 caps. And there wasn't you know, me and him were the two best players in the under 21s, we were both doing well for our clubs. And I think he wanted to be an England player more than I did, and he forced his way into that midfield with Scholes and Gerrard and Beckham where you couldn't not pick him. Yeah, and I think he, he had he, he probably had that attitude with England that I probably something I think. I didn't want it enough. I didn't. I didn't force it enough. Now would whether it, whether that would have been good enough, I don't know, because you're talking about two of the best centre backs England have ever had. Who played? They were amazing. I love both of them. So it's not a question of saying I should have played, but I just could have just just something there. I always think I could have maybe done a little bit more. Two big things with England.
0: Sven, in terms of you know that golden generation. Yeah. Was he the right manager? What was, what's your view on that in terms of that, that feeling that exists? Some lads have said it, haven't they, since, that you know, we needed a manager who could get the best out of us, who could play us in a different system and all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, listen, so I think Sven Goran Eriksson was, was a great manager compared to what I had in terms of Julien and Benitez and he's a patch on those two, I don't. I actually think he did a good job in terms of where we were. When you think of where we were under Kevin Keegan, I think there was the European Championships We were really poor in the group. Uh, we started the next one, not great. Uh, when we lost to Germany, and he come in and he, he did really well, and there was a mystique and there was an order to him and that. But I don't think I ever spoke to him. For being totally honest about football in, in five or six years, I didn't f- ever feel like I was part of it. But I didn't know if that was sort of part of what made him good in a way, and that there was like this, Ooh, Sven, you know, this this order type of thing. But I'm not someone who makes excuses. I think you're the same as me. You always blame someone else. I hate it someone blames someone else. I think he could, have, could he have done better. I suppose he could, yes. But when I hear players, and, I, and this was the same with Capello in 2010, when oh, the training pitch wasn't right and this was and it's a bit like, oh, lads, just shut up. You know what I mean? It's just like we were terrible in that World Cup. We were terrible in every tournament. What was it that like into. that tournament under Capello? It was the tournament I enjoyed the most. Because I think I was older, I was more yeah. mature. I didn't mind having time on my own in the room and things like that. And to be honest, I just went for Capello. It wasn't an England thing. I went for. I wanted to be managed by the guy who managed Maldini and easy and well, what's this guy like? And, and to be honest, I was a little bit. I wanted more. I think the language is a big problem for him, but he's Fabio Capello. He's just like one of those legends. He managed when I hear players moan about him afterwards and saying this. And I'm a bit like. He's won five Serie A. He's won two La Ligas. He's won the European Cup. He's just he's Capello. So if that's what he does. That's what he does, so yeah. it's not him, it's us, isn't it? So
0: uh, Another big thing was the divide between Mourinho's Chelsea players, United's yeah. Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson players, Benitez, who was a strong manager at the time with yeah. Liverpool, Arsenal as well with Arsene Wenger, four great managers and all the players that were there that were in those groups. And we no. were we were basically kicking hell out of each other at weekends and then coming together with England. And did we ever come together as a group properly to be able to win a tournament? Was it spirit that cost us, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think so. I I think so. I think that's probably something we all should look back on and regret, especially when you watch this England team now. And I I do find it strange and think I'm not sure I could have done that. I don't think I could have spoke to you coming off at Old Trafford or Anfield about a game. I couldn't have. There's no way in the world that would have happened and I wouldn't have wanted it to happen. But now I'll see Rashford talking to Trent coming off a pitch or I'll see Jordan Henderson sending a message to Raheem Sterling on social media when he scored a goal and I'm a bit like yeah. I, I can't believe that. No, I can't either. I, I, I still wouldn't do it right now, but I go, well, you know what? Look what it what it's created. Look yeah. what it's, you know, look at the England team, what they've done in tournaments. And we were wrong, weren't we? We yeah, were wrong. Yeah, I don't think it's just us. I think it's the way we were brought up. There was a real tribalism. We, you know, I, I didn't like you, you probably didn't like me. Or We got on a little, it was all, you know, when you go back to your room and, and you go back to your own club and you'd be a bit like... You, know, you, don't,
0: you don't want to bump into a Liverpool player in the corridor. You don't want to bump into a Manchester United player in the corridor, yeah. You? Yeah. You don't, yeah, want to, you don't yeah. have that conversation, do you? No, and it's all. Like,
1: yeah, listen. People think that you you were arguing or fighting. It wasn't nothing no, like no. that, but it was almost. It's worse than that, actually. It's arms length. It's worse isn't than it? that
0: because you're staying away from each other. Yeah. And you're trying to avoid conversation. I think it'd been better if we were arguing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because at yeah, least then I think yeah. it would have sorted things out. But I think it's worse than that. Talk to us about that moment being brought on just to take a penalty and how that happened.
1: But to be honest, no one mentioned it before the game. That it could happen.
0: Had you not been told before the game that you would come on in to take the penalty? No.
1: No. Uh, But, I mean, I'd I'd scored every penalty in training, but as I said...
0: Do you remember us doing those competitions that we did and then
1: they took all the scores down? Yeah. So I didn't miss one in in all the weeks we were there. And then he just said, you're coming on, obviously, to take a penalty. I I didn't feel nervous one bit. About coming on or taking the penalty? Well, I knew I was coming on for that, you know, so... I always remember when I went up. You said to me, "Do you want, do you want me to take it?" Do you remember that? No. Yeah, I always remember you, you said to me, "Do you want me to take it?" I don't remember that at all.
0: But I must yeah. have, I must have realised at the time that it was, it can't be right, can it? Really, yeah. you think yeah. about it. I
1: wouldn't say now old oh, the manager was wrong for putting me on. I, I missed the penalty. You know, I, I, whatever. Listen, it's not ideal circumstances, but you, you know what it was. I took a penalty for Liverpool in a cup final. I put the ball down. and I just went back and I did this big long run up but it didn't sort of stop and wait for the referee to blow the whistle. Maybe he blew the whistle, yeah. but I've just went, right, boom, right, this is what I'm doing, and I went. Yeah. So, as I'm walking up to take this penalty, I've got that in my head, I'm putting that ball down, I'm turning, and as soon as I turn, right, I'm... Because my thing about taking the penalty was running the pace. Right. Because I, I always wanted the side foot, and I always think if you don't go up with enough pace in your side yeah. foot, you don't get enough pace on it. And it was like, I'm doing the same, and I'm going up, boom, I've scored. And the referee said, no, take it again. I didn't blow my whistle. I've, I'm, I'm not just waiting for a whistle, I've just got in my head, I'm doing exactly what I did in that cup, final, and then, and then when I ran up there, my head was all over the place, because yeah. he knew I wanted to go that way, and then you're just like, oh, I should have just blasted that one. Would I missed it. But listen, I'll be totally honest with you, yeah, I don't look back at that now and go, oh, I missed the penalty for England, I did that. No, people, I, I don't even I, think about uh, it at all. Did, did
0: you, at the time, yeah. though, obviously, we've seen what's happened with Rashford and Saka and Sancho after the uh, European Championships. I don't think people were criticising you after that game, were they for missing the penalty, or people were having a go, were they? I don't remember that at the time. No, I don't
1: think they could believe I was taking the <laughs> kids. <laughs> When kids aren't in school, you don't, they're not getting the school, do they?
3: During the pandemic, with Jamie's support, we did just over 15,000 pack lunches. So
0: when I hear the words holiday hunger and food bank, it's an absolute scandal. Hi everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode. This is just a quick thank you to Skybet, our partners, for making this show happen. It's something I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Please subscribe, there's loads more episodes coming up and I hope you're enjoying it. Right, let's get back into this episode. Right, so tell me about this. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, from Bootle to Istanbul. so me as a kid on Bo- in Bootle, obviously what happened in Istanbul, and this is the 23 Foundation uh, giving kids a chance, so there's a lot of these murals around Anfield now with the different players, yeah. Jordan Henderson, there's Trent, and the, the, the company or the lads who do them are called uh, More Walls, we help them as a charity where it was. They wanted to retain the favour, so we got that, but we, we, there's no way we could have just had the Liverpool thing here. There's no way in the world there would have been murder.
0: What work were we doing during the pandemic?
1: Around here, it's, it's you know it, it's tough. When kids aren't in school, they don't, they're not getting the school dinner. So then a mother or a father or a single parent, they've got to provide the three meals a day for the kids around here. and It's not easy for them. So we were putting a lot of food into the Brunny, almost like a food bank, it still still is used like that. I think my mum works there on a Friday. We fund that through a scheme called holiday hunger. That's not just through the pandemic. That's when kids are not in school, say the six week holidays, because it's tough for those six to eight weeks for families money-wise to just keep, you know, shelling out. To be honest with you, I'm getting
0: more angry by the week just generally with regards to government and the state of this country. When I hear the words holiday hunger and food bank, it's an absolute scandal. In any part of this country. Now let's walk over there and have a look. Let's Come go on, in let's there. In the let's go and have a look.
1: This was my youth, basically. And it didn't look like this. It was completely different when I was a kid. You remember, like, the six week holidays? Yeah, yeah. You would be here every day. I mean, Monday to Friday, you'd be here from half nine in the morning until half three. And you'd walk home, you get your chippy, you go to that chippy for your, your lunch. you play cricket in the, in the morning, you'd play football in the afternoon. It's a different setup inside now, actually, uh, from when we were kids. But it just, this was what it was the bunny. Basically, yeah. five a side tournaments. Set well, t- me in, show me. Come on, let's go. This is one of the places I first remember ever playing football as a kid. So, this has changed the floor yeah. and but. My I like record, it. Yeah, I it was, like it. It was the best gym.
0: But even now, this is brilliant. This is yeah. play five a side. When we were
1: kids, when, when I was seven or eight, can you imagine how big this yeah, felt? Yeah. It was just massive. And we'd just be in here all day just playing five a side. I don't know when you can remember first kicking a ball. I've got two recollections of one playing for the school yeah. and one being stood there with my dad. Must have been the first time I couldn't. I must have been five or six. And there was kids playing a bit older than me and my dad's saying, can he play? You know not want to tell And like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like the, the older kids don't want you to play. And that's my first recollection of playing football. Keith, how are we? You all right, mate? Mr. How are, how are Keith? you,
3: Keith? Oh, nice to meet you? you. How are you? OK, lad. So give a little insight of what the, uh, the Brunny does. The Brunny's been here since 1947 and it has been working with young people since then. We have about 40 to 60 kids come in every evening time. Lots of activities that the kids to get involved in, 5 a you know, table tennis pool, all that traditional stuff, but we've also got like, you know, what we're calling the sort of targeted work, it's working with young people around healthy lifestyles, you know, health and well-being, their mental state. During the pandemic, with Jamie's support, we did just over fifteen thousand pack launches uh, during that period, from March to, to April of this year.
0: What are the major issues that you're seeing in the community around uh, in y- young people?
3: Um, probably much of the same as anything you know in in a city area like this, Gary. Anyway, you know, the you know, same as Manchester or whatever. You know, we've got you know a lot of issues around the, the you know the gun and gang culture. If we, we don't have role models like Jay or anyone else in the in the area. People will move into that culture quite easily through Jamie's connections. We've got Jerry Matthews coming in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Next She's a boxer, week, local yeah, boxer. Yeah, yeah. He's doing like an eight-week course with the kids, um, and the idea is obviously looking at those kids. You were on the cuff of you know of those sort of activities to get them in, so, involved in you know. A, a positive and disciplined activity. Well, well done to you. Yeah. Can I
0: get some sweets out?
3: Of that? <laughs> See you down there.
0: I don't get
1: you, at all in the countryside, so different to this. It was one of the best experiences of my life. I was too hard on myself as a player, too emotionally involved. I almost didn't enjoy playing, but it was more relief.
0: So let's talk about Liverpool. You go to Liverpool's academy at nine. Mm. You're there for four years. Yeah. Then Everton come in for you and you basically jump ship. Yeah. Cause you're an Everton fan.
1: Yeah, and I did. They, what happened? Liverpool, I loved it. Steve Iway was there, it was brilliant. And it just, I let me, me, me heart rule me head. An Everton fan, Everton made a big play. He got uh, Tony Cotty signed, a, like a, a, a shirt for me, he got sent, to, you know, all that type of stuff. And even though my dad was a massive Evertonian, he didn't want me to go. I could tell, he said, he, you, you want him to go, you, you know? I was like, yeah, yeah. And it was like, and as soon as we got there, it was like, you know, when you know you've yeah. like, and even and even at that stage, I was still a mad blue, going all the games. It was like I knew I'd made a mistake. How would you get out of that? At that stage, you, you could only sign for a year anyway. Right. So it was only like a school of excellence thing for a yeah. year. So, I mean, probably by the Christmas, we'd already sort of asked Liverpool if we could go, by well, and did you, go back. Did they not just say
0: do one because you'd left us?
1: I wasn't a bad player, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted me back. <laughs> but you ended up at Lillyshaw then, didn't you? At the National School. Yeah, so a couple of years later, I went to the National School. So, did you go for trials for that or did they? I the... didn't get in. Oh, did you actually go for yeah, the yeah, trials? Yeah, I went to trial, Preston. Yes, the plastic pitch. Yeah, were you there? No, oh, a different year, obviously, yeah. yeah. So we, we, we went there. So, me, Jamie Cassidy, who ends up going to Lillyshaw with me, and David Thompson, who had a decent career, yeah. we went and uh, just kept going and going. Frank Lampard was in our trials. He didn't quite make it. Stephen Clements got in, in our one. Gavin McCann, obviously, those two played Premier League football. I don't get you. At Lillishall
0: in the countryside, so different yeah. to this. How do you end up there in terms of just,
1: you just had to go for it because it was a big chance? Yeah, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. We got together about 12 months ago. It was 25 years since we'd left. but all on a group chat. You know what we call it? The real class of 92. (laughs) (laughs) But no, absolutely loved it. And then, then went back to Liverpool for the YSTAR to the YTS. I made my debut about... Ten days before I was nineteen, it was against Villa. At home, played playing midfield. We'd won the youth cup. Yeah. So you know what it was like when you won yeah, the youth yeah. cup. You always knew two or three from that team were going to play in the first team. Yeah. So it was me and Michael who really, really pushed on. But but I got in centre midfield. Yeah. So it was it was Jamie, John Barnes and Michael Thomas. Go on. Go on Thank
2: you. Do you want Neville on it? No. No. Yeah. Won't. He's
1: Neville. Um, do you want to get <laughs> <move>? <laughs> so you got a clue who I am?
0: I've got a clue. I just it, it, I'm you. Phil. I'm, my name's Phil. the Liverpool team that you break into, yeah, is the white suit Spice Boys team, isn't it? yeah. Thinking about how you speak about football now, what would Jamie Carragher, the pundit, say about that group?
1: I wouldn't be complimentary at all. It's it's what we've been saying about Arsenal for, or maybe Tottenham for the last ten years. That's what that team was like, and. That team had special talent. They were a brilliant team to actually watch when they were on, on their day. But I always think a football club should represent the people from where they're from. So Everton and Liverpool should always not just be about fight, but they can never be weak. They just The people of Liverpool, they're on the front foot. They've got something to say. They stick up for themselves. So your team can't be the opposite of that. And that's what that team was the opposite of. To see them in, in games against... That cup final in 96, I mean, you talk about the white suits. They they never won a derby game for three years. Joe royals Everton, team, the Dogs of War, they couldn't, Liverpool couldn't beat them because of that. And one of the things I'm most proud of, we started bullying Everton, we did bully Everton, we have gone now for about 20, 25 years. Me me and Steve were completely different players or characters to that team. If I'd have played in that team, and and being me and being loud and aggressive, not, not a great player, but you know, just that personality, that team could have really, I think, gone over the edge because it was, it, it, it won you close it uh, a couple of times. So it was great talent in it. It was a team who at times when 20 games were unbeaten. But whenever the pressure was on, it would fold. Yeah. So you think of a big semi, the cup final against you, going for the league against you on time at Anfield, a semi-final against Paris Saint-Germain, losing away 3-0 on the European thing. So it always got there. But it probably sickened you as a Liverpool fan and why that team get so much criticism from Liverpool fans because it wasn't Liverpool. It, that, would, that's not
0: Liverpool. We were known as boring, you know, not going out too professional. It was where the game was changing. But our impression of them was that they were going out all the time on the lash. Mm. That might not be true either, but our feeling was that they weren't professional. That's probably too
1: lit I think that's a little bit unfair. Maybe, maybe, maybe harsh. I just think it was their actual characters on the pitch. You always felt like they were a bit soft. They were soft, they were weak. Whenever the pressure came, they would lose. And, that, and when it was a nice day or they were playing well, the football would be the best in the country. So when we used to describe Wenger's Arsenal, they're the best footballing team in the country, but they never win anything. And that's what that the team late, the late was.
0: The years, Yeah,
1: sort of the end of the Wenger years, it was like, oh, they play the best football in the Premier League. And you could say that for two or three years about that Liverpool team. And but what did Gerard
0: Houllier do to change that?
1: We were completely, almost went too far the other way. If you think about reasons why we never won the league, you'd almost want to put the two of them together. We were not as eye-catching on the eye. Or as talented a group. As talented as... But you know what we could do? And something we don't get enough credit for, that Houllier team. People say to me, oh, Steve, oh, you didn't win the league. We won everything but the league, but we were competing with the best Man U team, what you did in 99, the best Arsenal team, the Invincibles, the best Chelsea team with Mourinho. Teams like Leeds and Newcastle didn't win anything. And they spent as much money as us. Whenever it got tough for us, we'd win. So you think a big semi-finals, Barcelona anyway for cup, semi-final, Chelsea in the semi-finals. We were the only team that could beat them. You and Arsenal at the time couldn't beat Mourinho's Chelsea, but we found Away, a little bit like Liverpool now. Where they're the only team who seem to find a way to give City a problem, and I just think that that team we don't get enough credit for that. He was
0: moving you around a bit, wasn't he? You were playing full back quite a bit. Where you're in the Gea? In terms, of... I
1: started centre back. And what happened was they brought Henshaw and Hippier and they were better than me. Yeah. I, I was 20, 21. But well, loved me. He just he wanted my personality, my character in teams. So it was almost like he'd say to me at the start of a season, "You'll play." I don't know where yet. Yeah. <laughs> There was no way I was never not gonna play in his teams. He always wanted my sort of personality and I had to improve. I don't class myself as a as a great player or a star or you had sort of gigs, skulls, they're amazing. So Gerard, Owen, Fowler, McManaman, I they're all like these local players coming through are amazing. But I was like, I was a good player, playing for Liverpool at eighteen nineteen, but I almost had to Mm. just get better with age with maturity and then you get to your sort of your peak years yeah. and people say okay yeah go play top player for liverpool maybe but i, I always think it's hard for people like me and you where, where you're playing for man U, the, one of the biggest clubs in the world liverpool one of the biggest clubs in the world and you're not at your peak and you, you make the odd mistake when you're 90 20 20 you make a mistake yeah. you're still learning. you're not getting there but you've got the whole world looking at you you know so if we sign would it get you
0: down if you made a mistake at that time? Yeah,
1: yeah. I was too hard on myself as a player. I think it was because I played for Liverpool. I think if I played for someone else, I'd have been able to control it more, but I was too emotionally involved. I almost felt as a player the way I imagine managers to feel after defeats or bad performances or mistakes. If I cost the team, I'd be in a bad place for two or three days, really. I, I couldn't feel any difference until I played the next game and done well. Yeah. And then it was almost like... <laughs> I, I almost didn't enjoy playing well. It was more relief that I didn't feel bad that we'd lost. Yeah. Or And, and I just... That's why I'm almost, not glad I'm not a footballer, but I was relieved when it finished. It was like, it's done. And I don't look back now when some players say, oh, I miss me playing days. I never say that. I don't miss them.
0: How would you summarise Gerard Houllier as a manager in terms of sort of what he got out of the Liverpool team, but also his style of play, thinking about how style of plays have
1: changed now? When he came in, Arsenal had Wenger, and it was just this foreign revolution. We've got a French guy. He was involved in winning the World Cup. Everyone automatically thought, right, this French guy, you know, number 10s, Zidans, and all that. We just had that. <laughs> you know, he was more British, and this is my argument all the time. The, the foreign managers I've had, Ericsson, Capello, Julio, Benitez, they're more British than British managers. I had Roy Evans, Brendan Rodgers, and Kenny D'Aglis at Liverpool. They wanted to play more football than those managers. So we have this idea about foreign managers that are so sophisticated. They just basically took it back to what probably Liverpool were in the 80s in some ways. Liverpool in the 80s was sort of like this team that everyone wanted to follow. Svengård and Eriksson, definitely. Probably Capello, the 80s team, the the 4-4-2s. So that's what it is. Big thing, Coulier, was I'm going to create a powerful team to compete. This team's too weak, too soft. I'm going to... We almost possibly went... Too far that way, too rigid, yeah. So, we tried to bring in Christian Ziga. So, okay, we, we're solid, like right, what else can we do? Let's have an attack and fullback. It never worked for us. No, we bring an attack and fullback, and everything fell apart because we had centre backs who couldn't, who, who went the quickest. Sammy appeared himself anyway, and we needed to be that tight block and organised. So, whenever we tried to take it there, yeah. it, it never quite worked for
0: us. Gerard Julia leaves, and Rafa comes in. What was the difference between them in terms of style of play? Because they had some a lot of similarities, didn't they? Yeah,
1: there wasn't that much difference, if I'm being honest. Rafa was a coach. Julier was a manager. Julier wasn't someone on the training pitch. He wasn't on the training pitch, but he had his coaches. Rafa was the coach, and he was top class. A top class coach in terms of, not where you would say, I love training, but like, back four 11 v 11, how we're going to you know beat this team, what we're going to do you know, how we're going to set up against these. So a lot of it was like like that type of training where you probably wouldn't come in and say you'd enjoyed the training, but you were getting work from it. I think I have this debate sometimes with Roy on Sky a little bit, when you talk about recruitment. It's not just buying the players. It's what you do when you've got them. Can you improve them? How do they work with certain players? Where you play them in a the team? Maybe it's man management. Basically getting the best out of them. The reason I argue for that is because I've seen it happen to me. Benitez took my game up another level, or a couple of levels.
0: Did the forward players enjoy him as much no, as the back
1: players? No, they? no, no, hated it.
0: Is that why Torres left? Do you think why? Nothing to do, with, not, not to do no. with Torres,
1: really. But if you think of, think of the British players we signed: Crouch, Pennant, Bellamy, Robbie Keane. who were probably used to a setup of, you know, maybe British managers high side, better shooting, yeah. running round, everything's fast. You get yeah. a good sweat on in training. We will go in. This was a lot more sometimes shape work, shape and they be offsides in training. They'd be like, oh, no, we're doing this properly. We're pushing out as a back four. We're holding the line. We're doing... And they they just want to score five goals in training. Are they bored? Yes. Yeah. I get so that's almost sometimes you think, well, what could you change there to keep them on board or keep them on side? Or But listen, Torres was a revelation. Stevie was a revelation going forward. It wasn't just attacking players. But I thought getting British players in who we were used to the British culture of managing. We'd had Uliye for six years. You know, we were used to sort of that way of working. So they, they found it a problem and there was never a connection between Rafa and those type of players.
0: Do you wish, when you look back, you look, you, the managers you had at your, uh, in your Liverpool career with the managers that you had, but do you ever think now when you see Klopper Anfield and you think, I wish we'd just had him, yeah. I wish we'd had someone that could take us to the title, because he's special and he's a different yeah. level. Listen.
1: Sometimes you're in the right place at the right time. Now I'm not taking nothing away from these players. These are the legends for what they've done. Yeah. But sometimes you're in the right place at the right time, and some players now have, have won the lockers. they were. People might say that about me in terms of Istanbul. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. You know, there's stars in every team that take you to the league, and there's others who are part of it. So, you know, I'd love Jurgen Klopp to be to be the manager. I, I would I would love to be managed st- by him. It's,
0: it's the style of play as well. You, yeah. Did you ever have a team that was exhilarating? That was like
1: no. I think. When Benitez had that mix of being solid, but Torres and Gerard that year when we yeah. were going with you with the league, and, and for two or three years under Rafa, we were one of the best teams in Europe. We, we knew, you go into the Champions League and you knew you get to the quarters without, that wouldn't yeah, even yeah. be a problem. Yeah. It'd be like, what you did quarter semi? So we were possibly in the best five or six teams in the Champions League, but the problem was the f- four of the other teams in that top six were in the Premier League. Yeah. That was the problem, you know, so that's where it was. This way we're having something to eat, by the way. Okay. Alright boys!
0: That's alright. Let's wander in. You're right. You alright? Right, right. Okay. Hello, hello, hello.
1: So go on, tell us about this place. This is the type of place where you come on a Sunday morning, you know you are over Saturday night, you come in here for your, your bacon oh. and egg on to toast. Bit of cup of tea. Is this where I get done? In? Is <laughs> no, get no, done no, in? no. You won't get done it. You get a little after
0: <laughs> in here. Yeah. This section of the show is called Failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. I've done it with all the guests on the overlap. It relates to my time at Valencia. Someone sending me a message. Who was up. it? It was a bloke that I know locally to me. You won't know it. Sent me a slogan to say, look, it's only temporary. Yeah. It'll move up. When's that point in your life where you thought, oh,
1: no, um, this hasn't gone well? Coming home from Old Trafford. On, uh, when I lost my, my job at Sky. I'm someone who's like quite on the front foot, you know, if someone attacks me or, you know, but that that knocked me for six. For like a good six months, I wasn't myself. I'd get up in the morning and just have this pain in your stomach, you know, when you go, oh, I did that Have you ever seen a psychologist? I went to see Steve Peters after it. Did you? Yeah, I felt really bad embarrassed, like, for my family and my mum and my dad, and you know, and I just think, what would I do if that was James, or, and the kids. I remember getting back to the house that night, when I'd been at Sky, and I haven't seen the kids, or, you know, they've gone to school, and you just get back, and you're a bit like, and we all just sat together, and it was, it was tough. It was, it was tough, yeah. Even though we're in the public eye, we're not the Royals, we're not we're not Beckham, we're not big film stars, I and mean, you read about these people on the front pages, don't you, all the time, or, you know, whatever happens. But when it's you, it's a bit like, ooh, and everywhere I went, I felt like everyone was looking at me. Everywhere I went, it was a bit like a, a day thinking about, you know, and it was like. Is that just your
0: feeling? You'd lost your confidence, you're starting to have doubts that people were looking at you. And is, is that how you did you lose your confidence at the time? Do you feel like less confident?
1: It'd almost be something like you'd be getting on with things and you go, oh, Yeah. And they'd come back to you and you'd be like, oh. Then you've almost got to flip it and go, it's done. I've done it. I owned it. I didn't, I didn't blame anyone else. I accepted it. I took my medicine and whatever shit's thrown at me, I'll take it.
2: And that's the
0: way I was as a player. Tara, every guest on The Overlap does a challenge, and your challenge is a unique one. You've got to make a five-minute documentary on Gary Neville with the team here through the lens of the people from Liverpool. I love that.
1: So I'm going around the streets of Bootle, we're on Marsh Lane right now, finding out what the people around here think of Gary Neville, so we've got a Marsh Lane legend, Jimmy Seddon. Thoughts on Gary Neville? Uh, I think he's alright. Good lad.
2: You like him? Uh, no, not really. out right. of order. I don't Thoughts on Gary
1: Neville? <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started. Anyone <laughs> <laughs> get any
2: thoughts
1: on Gary Neville? <laughs> <laughs> he gives me the chance to always be in love with football in some ways. Never to sort of fall out of love with it. I'd probably put a bevy on the BT stuff, it wasn't that much. <laughs> it is a big part of my life, Monday Night Football. I'm really passionate, I really am passionate about it.
0: The bacon butties have just arrived. Talk to me about punditry and why punditry, why not coaching?
1: I think I've made a brilliant decision, one of the best decisions of my life, not to be a manager. I'm deadly serious. I think I'd be in dark places as a manager. I, I, I love football too much and I'm too passionate about football and as a player, I didn't enjoy my career enough, and I think I'd find it hard to be in a dressing room with players who didn't want to win as much as me. And punditry gives me the chance to almost always be in love with football in some ways, never to sort of fall out of love with it. Uh, And that's why I think I've made a good decision. I think I know the game, I've got a decent brain and understand. That's why I played for Liverpool. I wasn't amazing at anything. You know, I'm not physically amazing, technically amazing, but my brain got me to the level I played, so that helps me on the on the TV.
0: What have you found difficult in punditry? I don't know. Well, what frustrates you?
1: I'll tell you what frustrates me. When we say things, and then that question gets put to a manager right away when he's emotional, without the context in, in how we've said it. And, you know, a manager then reacts to what you said. I've got no problem with a manager coming back at us but I almost I'd like them to sort of almost know the context and how we've said something and get the full facts. Whereas a journalist will just throw oh Gary Neville just said that, or Jamie Carragher said that, and then you get this reaction. That's the only thing I don't like. It's not that I've got a problem with someone having to go back at me, because that's you know, par for the course, but I don't like that.
0: You're obsessed with football, aren't you? Yeah. And just watching it, reading about it. Does it not fill your head with too much information or do you think it informs your punditry all the time?
1: It's not so much for me it, I enjoy it. So I'll read four four two, 4 World Soccer, uh, when Saturday comes, they're the three magazines I'll get on my iPad uh, once a month. And uh, I'll read all the newspapers every day. I'll watch the games, I'll watch other shows that are competing with us. I, I, for me, everything's competition.
0: We're all competitive as ex-football players and we're all competitive in life, but I don't feel like that. I, mm. I, I, I don't feel like that when I'm on television. I just feel like, you know, it's going to be really good. It's got to be different.
1: You're a workaholic in terms of you're involved in so many different yeah. things. But I, I'm not involved in things as much as you. But the things I'm involved in, I've got an unbelievable drive to be the best. So I knew when I played for Liverpool and they were buying players to replace me, it wasn't happening. They weren't replacing me. Because I had a, every day, I'd, training for me, I'd be doing like a game. And I knew they wouldn't they wouldn't have that like it'd be like F**k, too much to deal with him. Yeah. And I I wouldn't say I want that in but it's just like almost be ahead of the game. I watch Arsenal Spurs. So we were on the Monday night football. I've watched the game. We've got Thierry on Rion. So obviously it's gonna be a game that he's gonna do and, and he's gonna do so I'm looking at Arsenal doing all these things. But Thierry's on so it's just daft if he doesn't do Arsenal. So he's doing Arsenal. So I watched the game again and just kept stopping it. Fast forward it, stopping it, fast forward it. Right, right. There's before four clips done. So my piece was done for Monday Night Football. So I watched the game again, yeah. basically to make sure I had something better or more detailed than someone else.
0: Which other pundit do you think that's emerging now that you think could go on Monday Night Football and work in that environment that you see?
1: I mean, th- there's one player who stands out to me who is very young who I think's got a bit of something about him, a bit of personality, and it's on. It's Declan Rice actually. I don't know if he'd be a good pundit, but he's. He's quite bubbly on the England social media. and he's, he's on Twitter, he has a laugh and a joke. And I think, I think it's not just about knowing the game. I think you've got to have a personality. And I think we, we've got, you know, different personalities. But you've, you've got to have a personality. It can't just be like X, Y, Z. And I do think a lot of players now, we don't see the personality. It's almost they're so cocooned. And, like, they've got PR managers and you put this on Twitter and you do this and, and do that and advertise that. And it's almost everything's managed. We weren't like that. We're a bit more off the cuff. I look at him and I think he's a personality. But you know, if someone was coming out the game, would you almost go, well, okay, yeah? Or would you go, oh, I, no? I
0: did. So when I got the call from Sky about you coming, and you were obviously BT had approached you, haven't they? And yeah. Sky had approached you. And obviously you said you wanted to come on the night
1: football. I probably put a bevy on the BT stuff, it wasn't that much. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Created a fake bid for yeah, BT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I remember uh, being called by Sky and saying, look, you know, Cara wants to come on the night football. I was doing Monday Night Football at the time, it was going well with Ed, and I said, I was adamant it had to change. And to be fair, I said, yeah, absolutely, you should come in. Now, at the time, I I wasn't a mate of yours, I think, obviously probably even like you as a player, but you have to take risks and you have to move it on. That's why, even then, when you came in, we were together for two, three years, and I said, right, you now, I now need to step away from it, you need to bring other guests on, which is what's happened. It will need that next person at some point. That could be another fixed guest. It could be a different studio. It could be a different technology. The show has to move on. Mm-hmm. You can't have it stay in the same 15 years. Cause yeah. You actually will end up killing yourself anyway, because people will get bored. And that's why I think you know me and you had said everything we could say together. So now it's it's nice every five, six, seven weeks we go on and do it. But I think that someone else, young, coming in, if Declan Rice, they want to do three a season, I'd say, in he goes. Jordan mm. Henderson said, I want to go three a season. In you go.
1: It is a big part of my life, Monday Night Football. I'm really passionate. I really am passionate about it in that. And I say this to the people on the show. and You say it to me, we, we've got it now. We're doing it now, as you say. They'll get passed on to someone else. But almost when we've got it, don't be the one that ruins the show. Yeah. And whoever you pass it on to next, I'd never be like, oh, they f- it up or something. I'd be a bit like, this is Monday Night Football. and help them as much as possible. Because you'd want this You want this to carry on. This this show's amazing. You want? I was. I, I'm part of it at a certain stage. Didn't start with me. Won't finish with me. But whoever comes next, I, I'd want it to be. I'd honestly give them so much help to make sure it's good. Be careful of that uh, X, Y, Z. The way you did with me, because I, I think we're very lucky to be on the best show, and it'll be the best show when someone else is on it because of the format.
0: What makes a great pundit?
1: I, I think you've got to be strong enough, and I think, and that's when I talk about characters. You can know the game. But sometimes you've got to be strong enough as a character to say something that not everybody else is saying, and you see it differently. Sometimes you can think, I think that, but everyone's saying, am I missing something here? And I think a lot of pundits or people going into punditry don't want to go against the grain. I think the best thing I ever did on Monday Night Football was a referee at Leicester. Everyone slaughtered this referee after the game. He cost Leicester the league and all these different decisions. And I come in and watch them. And I'm a bit like, I think something different here. And every paper was against him. I actually phoned up Graham Paul in the morning because I wanted his advice from a referee. And he went against the referee. And I bit like, how can I justify what I'm going to say? I can't. And I thought, F- it.
2: I'm
1: doing it. And I got all the angles. And I made the case for the referee. I still believed it. And I've argued with anyone. But almost a feeling after the show was on my social media it was a bit like, yeah. That's a big thing, I think, and I learned something that like night. that. If you think something, don't just think something just do something stupid, but almost if you're passionate about something, even if other people aren't thinking it, go for it. And you know, if you get it wrong, yeah. you get it wrong, but go for it. But I think not saying trying to say something big every time you're on TV, I think it's important because you just become rent-a-quote, but know when the time is to say something big. I
0: think when it's big, when there's a, a moment of real... It, it might not even be a big moment in terms of good, it might be a bad moment in football, someone gets a really bad injury or someone gets a re- there's a really bad moment. I do think Sky hit those moments right on the head. When you
1: first start, you've still got Skolzey playing or Gigsy playing. I've still got Stevie yeah. playing. And that was the only one where I thought Stevie and Stevie got sent off again to Man U. He stamped on say uh, Herrera. I yeah, think. yeah I remember. Yeah coming on. But but it was at the start of the second half. So I had forty five minutes there and I'm thinking I can't leave that. I can't no, even no. though it's my mate, yeah, yeah. this'll look really poor on me. But I'm not going to criticise Steve. I'm not going to say no. he's a disgrace. No, so I'm yeah. thinking I've got to get my words right here. It might be my first year or yeah. my second year at Sky. So sometimes you know I've, I've got to I've got to deliver here. I've got to get this. And, and I was thinking right through that because I knew it wasn't about the score. It wasn't about you know let let's look at this goal. It was about you want know, make to your stamps? Has he cost Liverpool the game? Boom. Yeah. You know, and it was like, oh. and sometimes I'll write things down. Right, that, that's not like right everything I'm going to say, but almost yeah. bullet points. Right, I need to bump, bump, yeah. bump, and that that was a moment I think early on at Sky where I thought, yeah, you've you've got to not lose your meat, but almost just 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 pitch this right. Cara,
0: who would have thought I'd have enjoyed a trip in Liverpool? Thank you very much.
1: My last question: Am I getting this paid the same as AJ? Not quite. <laughs> <either>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs.
3: Learn more at uh1.com. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown ups. Me, like, I don't know what I
2: want to do. You don't
3: have to have all the answers.
2: I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That
3: is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.